Now's a good time to thank our sponsor, Survivors for Solutions. There's a lot of great things about this relationship. Like us, Survivors for Solutions wants to see continued innovation in the pharmaceutical space. They embrace the free market and believe that the free market is the best solution to improve patient lives. It was founded by our close friend CZ or John Swartaki. CZ founded the group when he saw the damage that the Inflation Reduction Act was going to bring to the pharmaceutical ecosystem. He's been a patient, and Eric, I think you'll talk about that in a minute, but he's been a patient for several decades himself, and he wants solutions not just for himself, but for his family and friends and for Americans in the future. And he knows how important it is for continued pharmaceutical innovation to happen here in the United States, because if it doesn't, it won't happen anywhere. Joe, you're right. CZ is a longtime friend of both of ours and a seasoned Washington pro. But what most people don't know is that John Swartaki has also suffered from multiple sclerosis for over 30 years. He was diagnosed and has required four different breakthrough drugs over the course of this disease in order to just live. All these drugs have been developed in a robust ecosystem of medical discovery and delivery an ecosystem that the Inflation Reduction Act and President Biden now threaten. That threatens the hope and security and safety, the liberty, and ultimately the lives of millions of Americans suffering from chronic, debilitating, or life-threatening disease. He formed Survivors for Solutions to help save this system so others like himself have the chance at a fulfilling and robust life. You can learn more about CZ and his lifelong struggle with multiple sclerosis from our March 27th DC EKG interview, plus his website, survivorsforsolutions.org, or on Twitter, at Hope Matters Most. Joe, we're really fortunate CZ is our leader here at DC EKG, and we look forward to advocating on his behalf and the behalf of millions of American patients in the years to come on our show. Welcome back to DC EKG. I'm Eric Uland, along with host Joe Grogan and our great guest, David Sr., for this segment. We've been talking with David today who works at Amerisource Bergen for over 20 years, about a variety of healthcare and pharmaceutical issues, uh, pretty significant as a matter of fact. But David, one of the things that uh, lots of people have in their head, I'm sure you've run across over your years working at Amerisource Bergen, is a lot of misconceptions about the market. We've talked a little bit about how it really works, uh, access, pricing, Talk a little bit, if you can, about some of the most common misconceptions you run across and how you explain what the facts really are about some of these most uh, most repeated challenges that you run into about people who just don't really get as well as they could how everything really works. Yeah, th- thanks, Eric. It's nice to be back. Um, I, I think the biggest thing that I step back and say is that um, Healthcare is different than other industries. It just fundamentally is in so many different ways. And healthcare economics is different, you know, whether the whether the product, you know, works or the service works the way it's supposed to. Um, certainly who's paying for it. It's emotional because it's our health. Um, there, there's so many things that are different. And what's interesting is that um, 
the pharmaceutical industry is probably the most visible in terms of you know what what patients see because people go to the pharmacy you know if, if you're on on, on on a chronic medication you go to the pharmacy every month you start in January and you, you're there every month there are some other parts of healthcare don't work that way where you know patients are are seeing that and so uh, this whole idea about you know price and cost get conflated and you know i think that um you know people see that they see they they get confused by it you know the fact of the matter is you know many products in in a business to business world have a gross and net you know i think most of your listeners probably understand the concept of gross to net um you know this isn't the only industry you know college tuition has gross to net um you know many things do but you know patients patients face this and you know and so it gets very uh, frustrating and complicated uh, when that takes place and you know what what's particularly been historically uh, complicated for patients is that you know the out of pocket costs uh, whether it's you know deductibles copays are tied to that often has times tied to that list price and so you know that that creates a lot of complication in terms of in frustration uh, for patients, which is, well, you know, what, what does that really look like? So when you get, you know, a, a bill from a hospital and it's, you know, a hundred pages long and a million dollars, but at the bottom line, it says it's a thousand dollars been negotiated. That's sort of all the patient, you know, sometimes has to worry about the drugs just don't work that way. And so, you know, the fact that there are uh, very complicated uh, pricing models, whether it's, you know, the model that, that we, we operate in or others, um, and it is complicated. Um, I, I don't know if opaque is the right term, but complicated in terms of, you know, we're, we're selling branded products, generic products, biosimilars, and they all have their own economics uh, behind them. Um, but, you know, we, we sort of lump, you know, bundle those together oftentimes into a, into a relationship with a customer. Um, and, you know, they're all, they're all different. Uh, but this idea of, you know, the complexity is something that, you know, people see a lot closer in pharmaceuticals than others. And, and you know, we all have to, you know, when, when, when I have to answer the questions at the, at the Thanksgiving dinner, it's about, you know, obviously, to your point, drug prices. And it's, um, you know, people see it and it's in the news. And, and uh, as much as, you know, the pharmaceutical industry did a wonderful job uh, at its best uh, during the pandemic, whether it was, you know, inventing, you know, therapies and, and vaccines, or frankly, the supply chain uh, performed very well in the pharmaceutical space. Um, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, the public, may, you know, continues to be a little frustrated with with drug prices. And, you know, I, 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 you know, it is what it is. And, you know, I think it's this aspect of it's so visible to us every, you know, every month uh, when, when we're paying the bills that, you know, this is a c- complex transaction. David, let's talk a little bit about another aspect of dr- a subset on drug pricing issues, which is biosimilars. Uh, the biosimilars market was real was created uh, with the passage of the Affordable Care Act during President Obama's or um, presidency. Um, really, they were always viewed differently um, by scientists because they were actually biologics. They came out of California. Amgen Genentech created this industry, and then it sort of blossomed. And there, at, originally, there was not a generic pathway as there is for small molecule drugs. And then the biosimilars market gets created by the Affordable Care Act. The market seemed to have taken a while to 
to take shape. And there was a lot of frustration that the promise of declining prices uh, was not being realized. But now, recently, we are seeing more biosimilars come on, come on the market. Um, Humira from AbbVie has competition for the first time in, uh, throughout its entire, um, you know, since its invention. Can you talk about the evolution of that market and the promise of declining prices in biosimilars? And do you see, are you worried about price collapse as, as we've seen in the small molecule market, the, gene- the true generic market that have led to shortages, or is that not something to worry about? Yeah, it's it's um, it is uh, exciting time in that market. Yeah, to your point, Joe, it, it did start slowly, and and um, you know I, I've said, and people probably just ignore this comment. Um, you know, the generics market started in 1960, and you know by 19 in the early 1980s, Hatch Waxman came along, and you know that that really sort of opened up the market, and then you know 20 years later, it was you know continuing to open. People thought this was going to turn on overnight. And, you know, to your point, Joey, I mean, it's, it was fascinating to see uh, the frustration with, you know, in, in the first three years, it didn't, you know, open up the way that it could. I mean, think about, you know, where we are today, and, you know, I'm going to quote some IQVIA data that might be a little bit outdated, but probably close enough out of a, you know, $260 billion, you know, biologics market, you know, $38 billion of, of that is facing, you know, biosimilar competition today. We do see significant deflation, as, as, you're, as you're mentioning. Um, and, you know, as IQVIA has pointed out, of that 260, another $90 billion um, is expected, expected to go have biosimilar competition within the next five or six years. Um, and that includes Humira, which is uh, Humira, which is you know probably close to twenty billion of that. So it's uh, it's it's coming. It's a uh, you know it's an exciting time in terms of of the opportunity uh, in terms of you know that marketplace opening. And I think from the standpoint of of the savings that the biosimilars are are generating, they are substantial. And so we should all be excited about it. But to your point, Joe, it's uh, it, it has risks as well. And, you know, what we've seen thus far is, um, you know, uh, number one, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, it, it is what it is, uh, you know, the originators, um, you know, maintaining market share longer than, than we generally saw in the biosimilars. We saw less uh, deflation initially, but, you know, over time we are seeing, you know, deflation in the, you know, going from 30% to 40, 50, 60%. And with Humira, we're seeing, you know, even even uh, deeper discounts. So, um, you know, it, it's 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 too early to say, Joe. I think whether you know we've got a problem on our hands. It's you know Humira. I've I've kind of said all along, Humira is kind of a unique situation. It's it's so much larger than the others, you know, um, in terms of the size. And hence, we've got ten. I think at least ten competitors coming in and competing for that market. Uh, we don't see ten in in other biosimilar uh, spaces. You know, we see a handful, and you know that's you know we should should speak to a, a more um, uh, you know realistic and sustainable marketplace. But uh, you know, this idea of a sustainable marketplace is something you know we we've got to all be working towards. You know, whether it's you know, the market or, you know, policymakers to ensure that, you know, those, those savings are realized. And, um, you know, it, it's, uh, um, you know, it's, it's the best example of savings that this country has in terms of, you know, opportunity for savings. 
uh, can come from biosimilars. And so we should be doing everything we can uh, to foster, uh, you know, a healthy marketplace um, in this in this arena. And you know, the branded manufacturers will continue to innovate and come up with new products. And you know, that's sort of the way you know things should work. Um, so, uh, Joe, I think we I think we're seeing it it coming about. I mean, I I, I think everyone's wishes this were were happening faster. Uh, wishes that you know the opportunity was clearer for the bio, uh, biosimilars manufacturers, um, but you know we're we're still quite bullish about what's going to take place, and you know sort of going back to a topic we had covered in a you know previous discussion, you know Inflation Reduction Act, um, you know creates some uncertainty as well for, for the uh, manufacturers because you know now they're facing you know competition with the originator, uh, who is also subject to you know. Um, uh, inflation, you know, uh, Medicare negotiation on their products. So it creates a bit of uncertainty in terms of what that price point is. But uh, I, I think it's too early to say, Joe, that, uh, you know, we're going to see the same price crashes and therefore, you know, manufacturers are going to say we're not going to participate here. Uh, but, you know, it, it, uh, it's, it's something that we're certainly watching. David, Joe, I mean, when you mentioned Hatch-Waxman and then biosimilars, People saw the promise of that years before statute was actually enacted and regulations started and, and the marketplace took off. Is there anything now similar to that that people should be thinking about, policymakers should be focused on that might be the next set of emerging public policies in healthcare and pharmaceutical area? Well, I'll, I'll, you know, one thing, I, I mean, the big issue would... Um, would be selling gene. I mean, how do yeah. we get these the, these these scientific breakthroughs for small populations um, that are really expensive? You know, to Sarepta uh, uh, has a new product for our uh, Duchenne's, which is a form of muscular dystrophy. Uh, um, it's a very difficult um, disease, and it's priced you know well into the millions of dollars. So I don't know, David, if you want to talk about that. I mean, the science is going to evolve. Um, and policymakers need to figure out how we're going to deal with this and lubricate that market so that patients can get it. But I don't know how Amerisaurus is viewing the marketplace evolving, and if you've done any any thought thinking there. Uh, yes, we have, Joe, and and I think that um, I, I sort of think about the evolution of of the pharmaceutical space in you know five waves that you know we we've lived through the you know the branded market, the generics market, specialty biosimilars and, and now selling gene. And, you know, in each one of those, they have their own dynamics and economics and growth. Uh, uh, and, you know, it's interesting that we've got, multi so we've got multiple sort of entire categories that they continue to grow and selling gene is, is um, you know, the next one and it's, it's upon us. And, you know, our role at Amerisource Bergen uh, playing a role of, you know, both a distributor, but also a financer. Of, of the channel, you know, effectively we're, we're playing that role between, uh, you know, the financing of the working capital within, within the channel. Um, you know, we've thought about how could we play a role? How could, how could this uh, take off? And, and to your point, um, you know, selling gene has its own economic challenges. You know, if you think about a patient who, 
is on uh, chronic uh, chronic care medication that could be in the tens of thousands of dollars, but to your point, Joe, some sort of multi-million dollar uh, treatment uh, comes forward. You know, how do we? You know, who pays for that? You know, how does how does that decision get made? Um, you know, and you know, given that you know, there's you know, people, uh, there's portability issues that you know come into play if you're if you're an employee at a you know at a, a private company. You know, the employer has got to face. Well, okay, you're you're working for us today. The you know, are you going to be here five years from now, ten years from now? Um, the insurance company, the reinsurance company, sort of who who's Who's going to sort of solve that? Um, it hasn't been as big of an issue uh, from from the research we've done. Um, access in the commercial market has been you know pretty good uh, to date, but you know we are concerned that you know as more and more of these products come forward, uh, that you know more and more constraints are going to be put in place around that. And you know we've we've been big believers in. Uh, I talked previously about healthcare economics and you know what's different and you know we've sort of we we've we've sort of embraced the idea that uh you know uh cell and gene therapy you know one-time treatments curable treatments um are more applicable for outcomes-based agreements so you know did it work did it not work did it work over a period of time i you know not just one year but multiple years and and can you prove that and can can um you know the payment be you know, in some way, shape, or form linked to that performance of, of the product. And so, you know, we, we've been big believers of that. We've been working towards, uh, you know, our solutions. We think others are too around, you know, how do you play a role, uh, you know, between, uh, you know, providers, insurers, manufacturers uh, to, to build out these, these types of agreements. And, you know, they're, they're hard. Uh, they're hard to build out the metrics uh, for you know what's going to be measured, what 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 constitutes success, what constitutes you know lack of success, um, and then and then the tracking. You know how do you get access to the clinical data? How do you track the patient? How do you how do you stay in touch with the the physicians who are, are who are involved in the care? Um, so you know it, it's it's a you know complicated thing to solve, but we think it's one worth solving. And you know we were actually. Uh, intrigued, and I haven't really followed where where it's gone. But you know, one of the one of the recommendations from HHS uh, to, in response to executive order recently earlier this year was for the states to band together um, for uh, developing outcomes based agreements for Medicaid. And you know, it's an intriguing idea. And you know, and Medicaid is one of the areas where you know, in talking to uh, in talking to uh, clinicians, uh, where where the where the barriers to care are higher. Uh, than even in the clinic in the commercial market, so you know we we do think that um, you know of, of all of healthcare because of you know the cost of these treatments and who's going to pay for it, uh, we are going to have to come up with some new solutions around, around um, how how it's financed, especially as this grows. And you know we are very bullish in the coming years about the the number of of products that are going to be coming to market and you know how prevalent this is going to be. Very excited about the science. Thanks. I appreciate that. Joe? Well, David, this has been a great conversation. I want to thank you for coming. Every time over the years when I've had the opportunity to uh, ask you questions, I always learn things. I know uh, Eric's learned some stuff here today, too. I know I have. Uh, thank you for your time. And we, what's the name? What's Amerisaurus Bergen's name going to be in the, in the coming months? Sencora. All right. Well, we'll look for the new name and the new ticker symbol. 
But on behalf of Eric Ulan and myself and DC EKG, Big Wig Media, thanks very much.